Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast, where each week I explore a different topic to help you feel more confident and connected to your work as a dietitian. This week, I'm discussing both ethics and how we as dietitians interact with one another. Now, I discuss ethical codes specifically through the lens of U.S. dietitians and our code, as presented by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, largely because it's the one I'm trained in, and the vast majority of my podcast listeners are U.S.-based. That being said, different countries have their own codes of ethics for nutrition professionals, so I encourage you to, after this episode ends, find yours and peruse it. Ultimately, this episode remains constant no matter where you live. I know many of us have experienced conflicts with other dietitians, and for some of the dietitians I work with, these experiences have led them to feel fearful of reaching out for support or help. We need to do better. We can do better. So let's start talking about it. Now, today's premise came about after I got a direct message from a dietitian on Instagram who was distressed about a, an interaction that she had. And of course, given that my job is to supervise and give advice to dietitians, I often can't uh, provide individualized feedback via direct messages. It's a boundary that I have. So what I'll usually do is um, if it's not something if I'm not working with the dietitian already, um, or they're not looking for full-fledged supervision, it's this like quick question that they're going through. I'll either offer to discuss it in a story on Instagram and Instagram live, if I need a little bit longer, or if I need a lot of time to discuss it, a podcast episode. And, uh, this is something that I notice frequently the the actual situation that happened is not one that I want to get too bogged down in. We will be talking about it. We will be talking about some of the ethics involved in it. Um, but mostly I want to use it as a springboard for a larger conversation about how we as dietitians interact with one another. So I knew that this was going to be a longer episode. I knew it was going to be more than a one or two minute story. I knew that it was going to be more than a five to 10 minute live. So here we are. Now, there are a few disclaimers that I want to go over before I explain the situation. The first is that um, everything I discuss is going to be completely one-sided. I don't know the second dietitian involved. I did not speak to them. I don't know their experience or their perspective. This is also hearsay. I didn't witness this myself. This is one dietitian telling me something that happened to them. And I also don't necessarily have a ton of details. I didn't ask a ton of clarifying questions because ultimately when we're using this as more of a case study, those details are a little bit less important than this bigger picture that we're going to be talking about. Okay. So again, I don't want us to get bogged down by this one example. I want this one example to be the contextualization for the larger issue at hand. So I'm going to describe the situation first. Okay. So in this situation, uh, dietitian A follows dietitian B on Instagram. They are in the same niche, although they live and work in different countries. 
Dietitian B advertises a workshop slash like mini course that they are going to be selling and hosting. Dietitian A purchases that course. Um, she wants to be able to support Dietitian B. She is curious, you know, dietitians were passionate people, um, especially in our specialty area. So she was thinking, I want to see what other dietitians are doing in this space. You know, I, I always am interested in learning more as well. And, you know, I, I like what this dietitian is doing. So I'm going to support them, pay for the course and go through the course. Dietitian B finds out that dietitian A is part of the course and gets very angry about it. Uh, dietitian B vents publicly on social media about it and blocks dietitian A um, on social media. At this point, dietitian A feels taken aback and upset because again, from dietitian A's perspective, she didn't view them as competition, particularly because they lived in different and work in different countries. So although they're in the same niche, they don't share a client base by any means. Um, she didn't realize that there was anything wrong. She had, you know, scoured the fine print to see like, did, was there something on the website or in the course that said this isn't designed for professionals or professionals can't take it? She didn't see anything. Um, and because of of the strong emotional reaction from dietitian B when she wasn't intending to hurt her um, and, and wasn't anticipating the impact that this had on dietitian B, she started to question her own actions and doubted herself. So that's the situation that we're talking about. Now, first, I want you to, to think about your own reaction to this. Pause this podcast, pause this recording in your car, on your walk, uh, in, at your desk, and reflect on what I just described without any other information. How would you feel if you were dietitian A? How would you feel if you were dietitian B? Do you think that dietitian A should have, I'm, I'm air quoting here, uh, should have purchased the course? Is there anything anything that you think either one of them could have done differently or that you would recommend them do differently? What are some of the emotions that are coming up for you as you think about this situation? Take a moment, pause, and then come back and let's talk. All right. So when you're ready, come back. Now let's talk about each of these dietitians. Now, again, I don't have the perspective of dietitian B. So I can only make some inferences and hypotheses because I'm viewing this as more of a case study exercise in ethics and how we interact with one another. I'll do my best. And I, I know that I'm not here to put words in anybody's mouth or to ascribe a certain experience or point of view to someone who I don't know. But let's talk about dietitian A first, the one that, uh, that purchased the course. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about ethics, um, but regardless of whether this winds up being ethical, regardless of how we feel about this, this happens all the time. It's basically market research. Um, I'll give you an example of uh, when I worked in a supermarket, because that's a very business-oriented 
business, for lack of a better term. Um, I was, I worked with businessmen that short and simple. And yes, I say men because I worked primarily with men in management. Um, and it was not uncommon for our competitors, again, regardless of the conversation of were these two dietitians in competition with each other, which is the crux of the conversation I want to have. But even if they were, um, we would have competitors come into our supermarket all the time to do research. Um, we, management, I shouldn't say we, management didn't like it when that happened, right? Be, but why were the competitors coming in? They wanted to see what prices we were selling things for. They wanted to see what products we were carrying, how we were merchandising them, what we were offering in the store, how we were advertising things, how our checkout lines went, how the flow of our store worked. And as much as management didn't like when they had this happen to them, you better believe that they were doing it to everyone else too. If a new supermarket opened up in the neighborhood, absolutely every single one of the managers would be there. They would either go as a group as like a little field trip one day, or they would just go on their time off one by one, just exploring it, right? This is normal. It's very common in the business world to understand your quote unquote competition or to understand other people or businesses in the market. And as dietitians, we do this too. I do it. Um, I don't always necessarily buy a course, but I'm in Facebook groups that are run by other dietitians. Why am I in those Facebook groups? Because it helps me understand you better. I get to peruse all the posts and, and see the questions that other dietitians are asking. Uh, the things that they're struggling with, the concerns that they have. And yeah, depending on the rules of the group, I might be able to link to a podcast episode or link to my program or something. In other groups, I can't. So it is my responsibility, um, my ethical responsibility, my professional responsibility to make sure that I understand the rules and expectations of me being involved in that group. Maybe I am just a wallflower observing in some of them, but I'm in them. I also sign up for other dietitians' email newsletters, especially dietitians who are in the professional development space. Why? Because I want to know how many emails are they sending? What are their subject lines look like? What content are they talking about? Um, how are they formatting it? Right? I attend webinars from other dietitians. And other dietitians do this too. I was just talking to another dietitian who was building her website and she joked when I was talking to her, she was like, don't even ask me to tell you how many tabs I have open of other dietitians' websites trying to gain inspiration. When we're creating a freebie for our email opt-in, we look at what other dietitians are doing in that space, right? This is normal market research, and it is an unavoidable part of operating professionally in any kind of industry. 
So again, regardless of the ethics of this situation, I want you to open your mind up and recognize that this happens all the time and it is not inherently wrong. Um, and it's, it's actually beneficial and recommended. So a lot of this is more how we do it. Um, in what circumstances do we do it? In what circumstances do we not do it? And how do we interact with each other when we're doing it, right? So now we have to talk a little bit about ethics. And when we talk about ethics, um, this is something that we learn a lot about. I wish that we had an ethics course um, in undergraduate. Maybe you took one as a, I don't know, gen ed or something like that. Um, I don't know how many dietitians would opt into that. I personally find ethics both incredibly boring and fascinating at the same time. Um, I think it took the course that I took in ethics when I did the one year of grad school um, to really appreciate it because it wasn't something that we talked about in dietetics very much. Um, but when we talk about ethics, I don't just want to talk about like ethical codes. We are going to talk about those, but it also means what are your personal values? And that's not something that I can explore for you. That's something that I can help you develop. It's something I help my dietitian clients develop, uh, but that's ultimately yours and you alone get to decide those. Now, on top of our personal values, because our personal values are not necessarily our professional ones, we also have to understand our professional values and our code of ethics as dietitians. Now, in school, I, I don't even really remember learning a whole lot of ethics in general, but um, I do remember learning more about, you know, like uh, professional codes. Um, these are your expectations. And when I asked recently on Instagram, I polled dietitians to say, you know, were you ever taught about values-based decision-making? Were you ever taught um, about your own professional identity and, and encouraged to foster a unique, individualized professional identity as a dietitian? Um, and the response that I got overwhelmingly was no. If anything, we're taught what a dietitian is supposed to do, what a dietitian is supposed to look like, how a dietitian is supposed to act. And we aren't really given the opportunity to cultivate a unique persona and professional identity within the confines of our code of ethics, right? So we have the code of ethics that we as, a diet, as dietitians are held to. And we have to adhere to those. Our professional identity has to fit in that box. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other things in the box with us, right? That we can bring with us. So for example, um, part of my professional identity, my professional ethics is that I don't only hold myself to the dietitian's code of ethics because I personally find our code of ethics to be lacking. Um, I don't think that it's comprehensive enough and I don't think that it's great for guidance in a lot of situations. It's helpful, we're gonna pull from it for today's discussion, but it's not enough. And so I also refer to the uh, American Counseling Association's Code of Ethics, and there's also a multicultural and social justice counseling ethics uh, standards and competencies that I also pull from. So my, co my code of ethics as a professional, as a unique individual dietitian, um, it's going to be a little bit different from you, 
it will have some commonalities and that we're both held to the code of ethics from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, but then there are going to be some other things that we choose as individuals to weave in or not weave in. And so when you're considering how you want to act as a professional, you need to be reflecting on your values and your ethics as well. Now, there are two codes of ethics that I want to talk about here related to dietitian A. We'll talk about a few more related to dietitian B. Um, but for dietitian A, um, in our code of ethics, there are two, and I'm going to read them verbatim. One is 2C. It is related to autonomy. And it says that we are expected to respect intellectual property rights, including citation and recognition of the ideas and works of others, regardless of the medium. And this, again, I don't know the other dietitian's perspective, dietitian B, I don't know where her emotional reaction was coming from. But if I had to guess, it was a fear about intellectual property rights. It was a fear of being stolen from or maybe having clients poached, right? And so dietitian A needs to make sure that no matter what she's doing, she is respecting intellectual property rights. And of course, we are not going in with the intent to steal. Um, but we also as dietitians have to be kind of self-aware and careful about how we get unconscious inspiration or subconscious inspiration. Um, so if we see something that another dietitian is doing and we like it, are we going to take it and use it? Are we going to think that we're twisting it enough and changing it enough to make it our own, but are we actually? Um, so there is a little bit of a, a slippery slope that we get into where it's hard. Look, there's no such thing as an original idea, especially these days with like TikTok trends where the whole thing is like you're supposed to basically steal from each other and like copy each other, right? Um, like that's a thing. So we have to be careful and kind of monitoring ourselves to make sure that even if we're not saying like, I'm going into this course by another dietitian in order to like take this handout from them, we wanna know that because we've seen that handout, because we've been exposed to it, and then we go to make a handout on our own, those ideas may just like naturally seep into it because it's in our brains, right? We were exposed to it. so there's no black or white answer with this, but just being careful and being self-aware to make sure that you are respecting the hard work and labor of other people. Um, and it's okay to take inspiration from them. Um, it's okay to take inspiration from the world around you. Like I said, there's no such thing as an original idea, um, but you want to make sure that you are either um, adapting it heavily enough that it's not taking from them or you are giving credit where credit is due. Now, the second uh, ethical code that we want to pay attention to with dietitian A is 3B. It's on professionalism and beneficence. I don't love that they use the word beneficence, beneficence kind of interchangeably with professionalism. It's not really how other 
professional code of ethics use that term, but it is how our code of ethics is written. Um, and it says we respect the values, rights, knowledge, and skills of colleagues and other professionals. Um, so again, this is kind of hand in hand. We want to be very respectful of the labor and the work that other dietitians are doing. And you could view this as like, we're not going to disparage them or like discredit them or things like that. But I think it's also just having respect for the work that they do and taking time to consider how they may react to a different situation. Um, now, when you have these code of codes of ethics and you're considering your values and you're considering the ethical issues at hand, it is helpful to use an ethical decision-making model. Uh, again, this isn't something we're taught usually in school. Maybe some of you have been. Uh, if you go to the Code of Ethics for Nutrition Professionals, which I'll link in my show notes, it's from the Academy. The I think it's the last page does have unethical decision-making model. It's not maybe my favorite one. I like to, I like to use one that uh, has multicultural components built into it. Uh, to really make sure that we're addressing any implicit biases and, and things like that as we're making our decisions. But it, it's a solid one. It's a fairly standard one, and it's a good one to get you started. So you want to go through that ethical decision-making model, and it's going to ask you questions, and it's going to give you prompts to think about the situation at hand and make a decision that you feel comfortable with. Um, and that's really the key here is that I want us to be intentional with our decisions so that if someone does react in a way that we weren't anticipating, um, we can feel confident that we did consider things, that we looked at things at all angles. Um, you can still reconsider them and say like, hmm, would I do something differently next time um, based on the outcome that this produced? That's a huge part of an ethical decision-making model is evaluating what happened and then deciding if you would do it again um, moving forward. But ultimately, even if you act ethically, even if you do all of the quote unquote right things and you're intentional and you're careful, we're humans interacting with other humans and sometimes you're going to upset them. And sometimes it's not about you uh, or what you did. Sometimes it's more about them. So again, I'm not here to pass judgment on this situation in particular of what is right or wrong or good or bad, or uh, if who was in the right or anything like that, that's not my place to say. What I am here to say is that I want you to be in a place where you can feel confident about the decisions you make and that you have considered the impact that it may have on other people involved. Um, again, we can't anticipate it all the time, but we want to try to think about that. So what are some options that dietitian A could have done in this situation? Um, option one would be not changing anything. Again, I don't necessarily know that there is anything inherently wrong with what she did. Um, you know, she, she didn't see anything that said, this isn't for professionals. She was like, this isn't someone who's competing with my client base. I'm not here to steal. I'm just kind of here to 
have this collaborative mindset. Um, and that's something that not a lot of dietitians embrace. Um, it's something that I'm really passionate about, which we're going to talk about, but she was coming from the mindset of like, we're kind of all in this together. We make each other stronger. I'm not threatened by other dietitians and I don't want them to be threatened by me. So from her perspective, there wasn't an issue. Um, and, and her intent probably was pure and well-intentioned. That being said, we can see from the impact that it had and impact matters that it upset dietitian B. And so what is something that she can do moving forward um, in situations like this? One option would have been contacting dietitian B. Um, proactively and saying, Hey, I'm this dietitian. I live here. I think what you're doing is amazing. I'm really curious in, um, experiencing your course really just to like celebrate you and like, see what other dietitians are doing. I, I really don't view us as competition. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm just interested and been, and had full disclosure. My guess is that in this situation, dietitian B would have said no, um, but that's within dietitian B's rights. And then maybe dietitian B would make it clear on their sales page, like this course is not designed for other health professionals. Cool. That's fine. Um, another thing that I, I really like is, you know, if, if collaboration is something that dietitian A is really interested in, then let's actually talk about collaboration. Um, what if dietitian A would have offered an actual collaboration relationship or a collaborative relationship? Because remember, consumption isn't collaboration. So maybe it's coming together and having a coffee chat about what they do respectively and the programs that they run and learning from each other. Maybe it's um, hiring dietitian B as like a case consultation or consultant or a supervisor who can guide her a little bit um, and she can learn from her that way. Maybe it's trying to collaborate on a joint uh, webinar where, you know, the one dietitian focuses on audience from one country and the other dietitian focuses on the audience from the other country and they have the same message, but um, one serves one country's population and the other serves the other. So there are ways that we can embrace collaboration a little bit more uh, obviously rather than supporting them through purchasing a product that maybe wasn't designed for you. So again, again, I'm not saying that what they did is absolutely wrong, but if we notice that the impact was not what we intended, then maybe we want to shift what we do in the future to promote this uh, climate of collaboration. So now let's talk a little bit about dietitian B. And we're going to talk about ethics. Now it's the same thing. Dietitian B, if you're a dietitian B and you have this course that you put out for the public and you find out that another dietitian is involved. And this happens sometimes. I have dietitians who um, discover that other dietitians have joined like their private Facebook group that they use as kind of a sales funnel and they get very conflicted about how they feel about that. Um, and different groups are gonna have different rules. Different courses are gonna have different rules. So dietitian B is gonna wanna 
think back on what are my values as a person? What are my values as a professional? What are my business values? Because as a business owner, she should have business values. And then let me take a look at the ethics involved. And there are two two codes of ethics from our code that I want to talk about here. Now, uh, one is 1G, and it's act in a caring and respectful manner, mindful of individual differences, cultural and ethnic diversity. So we want to make sure that we are acting respectfully in all of our interactions and that we want to pay attention to different cultural, ethnic differences, right? Now, I haven't disclosed where these dietitians live, just that they live in different countries, um, but they live in different countries. Well, guess what? Different countries have different cultures and different expectations. So we want to take a second to think, okay, is there a cultural norm that isn't present in my country that is present in this other dietitian's country? And what they're doing is considered totally ethical and respectful and professional for them, even if it's not for me, um, are there differences, right? And that's why I love using a, an ethical decision-making model that includes uh, multicultural aspects um, that talks about cultural limitations and humility. It talks about implicit biases so that we're encouraged to think about things from the other person's perspective. And we want to make sure that we're act in a caring and respectful manner. Now, 3C is similar. It's saying we want to demonstrate respect, constructive dialogue, civility, and professionalism in all communications, including social media. So let's say this dietitian decided that they didn't feel comfortable with this dietitian, with di dietitian B. I should use my B's and A's to be clear, um, diet, say dietitian B did not feel comfortable with dietitian A being a part of the course. That's okay. That's, that's okay. Um, but how can we respond to that in a way that is respectful, that is civil and professional? That's going to be key. Okay. So what are some options that dietitian B has? Um, First, I would say that anytime if you're in dietitian B's situation, shoes, and you are feeling uh, very emotional about something and you're about to go interact with another person, I want you to like hit the pause button. And we want to, we want to process the emotions a little bit before we respond. So we want to be responding with intention rather than reacting with the, the surge of our emotion that we're feeling. Okay. So it does need to be addressed, but let's take a time out. Let's sit with it, maybe sleep on it, maybe talk it out in supervision, talk it out in therapy, do a meditation, do some emotional regulation work, um, do the things that you need to do to gain some clarity. This is something that a lot of my dietitians do with, with me in supervision, whether it's in our group call or it's in um, a one-on-one, -on -one. it's saying, hey, I had this really upsetting interaction and I don't really know what to do about it. I don't know how to respond. I don't know um, what to do. I'm just feeling all of these things and I need to process it. So we sit down and we talk about it and we validate the feelings and we explore them and we figure out what the best way forward is. 
Okay. So, so that's first, no matter what option you decide to do is we want to try to remove ourselves from the heat of the moment. Now, one of the things that dietitian B could have done is dietitian B could have contacted dietitian A privately and approached it with openness and curiosity and respect. Maybe saying, you know, hey, I noticed you're a dietitian. I don't have this anywhere in my signups, but um, I don't know that I feel really comfortable with it, especially because you're in the same niche as me, or maybe even before dietitian B says anything to simply say, Hey, I noticed you're another dietitian. Would you mind talking to me a little bit about what made you want to sign up for this course that I have? Right. And talking to them or inviting them into a discussion. Dietitian B could offer supervision or consultation the same way that dietitian A could ask for it. Dietitian B could say, Hey, you know, if you're interested in learning more about what I do, I would love to be able to help you, you know, if you want to talk about maybe a consulting relationship where we meet for a session or a few sessions um, and we talk about it and I help you uh, with your business, I'd be happy to do that. Or again, the same uh, option that option number three that dietitian A had was dietitian B could offer actual collaboration opportunities. And this takes a shift because we have to remember that dietitian B, again, I don't know dietitian B, but knowing other dietitians who have been in dietitian B's shoes, um, dietitian B is likely acting out of fear and scarcity. And we want to shift that to abundance. So we want to be able to take this opportunity where dietitian B feels threatened and not shut down, not put up walls. I mean, some boundaries are okay um, and good, but to kind of open arms and welcome in and find a way to do that in a way that, yeah, protects your property rights and yeah, protects your bandwidth, um, but also encourages this collaborative spirit that we are by and large missing in our field. Now, the reason that I say that dietitian B is likely acting out of fear and scarcity rather than abundance is because it's likely that this dietitian is feeling the threat of being stolen from, right? Like if, if you had another dietitian in a program that you were running, that would be the fear, right? They're going to poach clients. They're going to steal content. They're going to take from me. They're, they're going to take my hard earned work and use it for their profit. Now, one of the things that we can do is we have to pause. If we're going to shift to an abundance mindset, which I highly encourage that we all do, we have to recognize where this comes from. Now, I talk about this a lot. Uh, if you come to my workshops, if you come to, if you enroll in any of my programs, we talk a lot about where our mindset comes from, but we have to think about things like, what were you taught about other dietitians in, for example, undergraduate and your internship. A lot of times they're your competition, right? We have competitive slots that we have to fill. We have grading on a curve that we have to worry about, right? This largely comes from, again, capitalism and patriarchy. I feel like I talk about these in every episode because, hi, they're severely influential. Um, they have such powerful impacts on how we think and what we value 
and how we interact with one another. So capitalism is all about climbing the ladder. Okay. Capitalism is all about gaining management, gaining responsibility. Um, and it's competitive. Capitalism is about competitive markets, right? And so we learn that anyone who's doing something similar to us is our competition. And we don't want to be too close to our competition, right? We want to understand them, but we don't want to help them because we view helping them as hurting us instead of viewing helping them as helping us. That's where the abundance comes in, but it's not... Uh, it's not natural. Um, it's not how we've been raised to think in a capitalist society. Now, how does patriarchy fit into this? Um, generally speaking, if we talk about power dynamics, and again, I'm going to gloss over this so fast for this episode, um, but again, it's something I go in depth much more in. Um, a patriarchal power dynamic is power over. So you hold power by exerting it over someone or something else. It's a dominance thing. And so the way that you accrue power in a patriarchal system is by holding it over someone else, by being better than, by having more power than someone else. Your power is reflective of how of the gap between you and the person underneath you. Now, a matriarchal or more like a female gets a little gender binary when we talk about this stuff, um, but a, a more traditionally like female power dynamic is power with or collaborative and that we are stronger together. But because we exist in a patriarchy, the only way that women are able to gain power is through the male power dynamic. It's through power over. And so we learn that in order to climb that ladder, we have to exert dominance over other people. And therefore, once again, people who would have been our colleagues, who would have been our equals become our competitors. And we learn not to collaborate with them. And then lastly, one of the other things that we have to really consider is what is your experience? Have you tried to collaborate in the past and maybe you've been burnt? Maybe someone has stolen from you. Uh, maybe you have had bad experiences with other dietitians and that is influencing the current situation that you're in, the current dilemma that you're in. We have to recognize that the emotions that that brings up are very valid and can get in the way of feeling safe in a collaborative space. Safety is a prerequisite for collaboration. And if you have past experiences that are uh, telling you that this isn't safe, then it is going to spark more of that fear and that scarcity and this like flight, get me out of here, put up the walls. I don't want to uh, be vulnerable around this person. Now, all of these influences, again, come together to this scarcity, this fear. What does this result in? How do we see this playing out? Um, it plays out in comparisonitis. 
Lots of dietitians out there feel like they're constantly comparing themselves to other dietitians. Um, you go on social media and you see a dietitian hitting six figures in two months or something ridiculous like that. And you're like, well, there's something wrong with me because that their success makes me feel badly about myself. Again, it's, it's power over that dietitian seems to be exerting their power, their money over you because you are not at the same place as them. And that triggers imposter feelings. So this fact that so many dietitians struggle with imposter feelings is not a coincidence. It is absolutely related to the fact that we are taught to compare ourselves to other dietitians. And when we do, if we don't stack up, we feel less than. Another thing that it results in is alienation. A lot of dietitians feel like they exist on their own little dietitian island um, because there's not a great collaborative spirit. Either you do work pretty independently, you know, again, me, I work alone in my attic. Um, so I don't have team members. I don't have coworkers except Toby, if you count him, he's napping next to me on, on his bed over here. Um, or you're on a team, but you don't share the same values as them, or they don't really seem to be super like friendly or welcoming, or you've had these experiences where you've reached out in a Facebook group to ask a question and felt attacked. All this stuff, again, because we're pitted against each other, because we aren't viewing one, one of our success as all of our success, then we wind up withdrawing and having a more isolating experience where we don't reach out for help, where we don't feel supported, or we don't feel safe. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, this is the system that we work in. So why would we, why would we try to shift to abundance and collaboration if, if this is trying to keep me safe or boundaries are a good thing? What are the benefits of embracing abundance and collaboration? The first is that we get community support. You can stop feeling alone all the time. We are stronger together. And that doesn't mean we have to like hold hands and sing kumbaya and like love each other all the time. We're not a monolith. We don't all agree with each other. We don't all believe the same things. That's okay. But can we view one of our successes as all of our successes? Can we support each other in a safe way? Because all of this leads to increased self-confidence. This isn't just benefiting us as a collective. This benefits you as an individual. Because if you're not constantly comparing yourself to the dietitian down the road from you, you can feel more confident in where you are as a unique practitioner. We also can manifest better from a place of abundance versus fear. Right. If we start, if we're constantly scarcity is all about like running away from things and trying to avoid things. Abundance is about building and creating and welcoming in. It's more generative. It's really hard to build from a place of scarcity because you're building from a lack. So we want to get to a place where we can have a feeling of enough. That's what abundance really is. And, and when I I talk, I have an upcoming episode on uh, my different 10 principles of intuitive living for dietitians. I talk a little bit more about abundance in that. It's coming from a space of enough. 
And that is so important for our own growth and for propelling the profession overall. And the last, one of the last benefits, I won't say it's the last benefit, the last one I'm going to say today is that by embracing abundance and collaboration and refusing to play into the power over dynamics that are keeping us down, we can start to dismantle the oppressive systems that are holding us back. We are being held back by this belief that we have to be pitted against each other. Other dietitians aren't the enemy. Okay? They're not the problem, usually. Usually. I generally don't believe that. So if, if dietitians aren't the problem, we have to stop viewing each other as the enemy and start channeling our frustration towards the things that are actually holding us back, the things that are actually causing us issues, both as professionals and for our clients. Now, if you're saying like, this all sounds great, but like, how, how do I do that? Um, the first is that you have to experience it. You have to experience collaboration in a safe environment. So you have to find a professional group that has this collaboration, this power with dynamic that you can really see it. And it's not common. It's also why I'm so determined to have my groups, because whether you work with me one-on-one -on -one or you work with me in a group, there is a group community component because the way that we change is together. We grow together, we lean on each other, and you have to experience that in a safe way, in a successful way, in order to start embracing it more. So if that's something that you do want, uh, my next group is launching in March. So you can always, uh, always keep up with that. If you're watching this in the archives, um, you can always check out my website, which is always in the show notes. If you want to see what offers I have open versus closed at any given time, but it's, it's why I do what I do because we have to model it. We have to learn by experiencing it. Now, if you want some actionable steps, I would encourage you to come to my upcoming workshop um, because it's going to be all about this. I want us to learn how to shift from a scarcity to an abundance mindset. I want you to learn how to free yourself from imposter feelings and comparisonitis. I want you to feel confident with yourself. And I want you to feel confident then taking your values and what's right for you and what you're passionate about and communicating that confidently and respectfully and professionally with others. So we want to learn how to set boundaries in a way that isn't so rigid that we shut everyone out, but not so porous that everyone walks all over us, right? So if you want this for yourself, if you want more abundance in your career as a dietitian so that you can get rid of the comparisonitis and the imposter thoughts, you can feel confident and you can really feel at home with yourself and your purpose as a dietitian, you can sign up for the workshop. It's completely free. Um, I'm going to be going through some of the actual uh, activities that I do with paid clients for free for you. Um, so signups are open. If you go to empoweringdietitians.com slash March 22 event, that's March 2-2 event, E-V-E-N-T. Um, it'll be in the outro. It'll be in the show notes. It'll be everywhere in social media as I start promoting it, but signups are officially open. Uh, you can enroll in that. It'll be a free little workshop to help you out. And 
I hope that it helps. I hope to see you there and maybe get a little bit of a taste of what this collaborative uh, community experience can be like. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast. If you are currently feeling frustrated with your work, wishing you had the freedom to work in a way that aligns with your values and the confidence to turn your professional life into something that makes you happy, I want to invite you to my upcoming free workshop, Writing a New Narrative, Discovering Success, Fulfillment, and Confidence as a Dietitian on your terms. Over the course of four days, we will explore exactly why our profession struggles with this so much, how it makes us vulnerable to those insidious imposter thoughts, and what we can do to start reclaiming our passion for our professional lives. To learn more and sign up, head to www.empoweringdietitians.com slash March 22 event. That's empoweringdietitians.com slash March 22 EVENT. I hope to see you there. Thank you.